I was uh, talking to my wife this morning, and I told her, I said, you know, Vision Sunday this year just seems to be anticlimactic. She's like, really? I said, why? And I said, because in the life of our church, right up until like literally this year, we made an enormous deal out of Vision Sundays, and we started telling you guys about it like two years ago, and just saying, you know, <laughs> this Sunday is coming up, and we actually baked a cake. Do you guys know what we see this? We baked a cake, and we brought it out. We sang happy birthday, new community. Like, we did the whole, we were just, like, we are in love with Vision Sunday, because it was, for the first three, four years, it was such a... Uh, uh, a critical part, you guys, of our church because in a lot of ways we were still and still are in the midst of sort of a flux and, and wondering like why are we here? What, what is the purpose for why God has us here? Well, in the last two years, I want you to know that as we continue to hammer away at the mission statement of our church, we've been talking a lot more about God's love for the city and why God has called us to be in the city. I love the song that we sang, um, and we're going to sing it again after the service. But, but this whole aspect, you guys, of, of us being a church that's in the city. Now, for some of you guys, what I'm going to talk about this morning, you didn't need somebody to, you didn't need some preacher to tell you about it, because you're sitting there going, I get all that, like, innately. But then there's a lot, let me just ask this, how many of you guys did not, were not born and raised in the city? Raise your hands. Okay, <laughs> see, this, this is the reason why we need to talk about this, and I share it. By the way, in case you guys sit up front, it was probably about 90% of the people in this morning raised their hands and said, I wasn't born and raised in the city. Okay, so a couple other introductory remarks uh, before we uh, get in and do it here. Uh, one is, um, I, I wanted to talk about our church planting initiative today, but here's, here's what I, I realized. What I want to do, you guys, is spend, I want to spend actually a full Sunday on church planting and why we're doing church planting, instead of just kind of throwing it out there, because I want you to understand the rationale. So we're going to spend one Sunday as we actually study the book of Acts about why church planting was so important and influential in the church, okay? So today, I'm not going to go into it, but I want you to know if there was like a vision Sunday 1A, what we're talking about today, and then 1B, it will be like church planting uh, this year in Bronzeville, okay? So why are we in this city? What does it mean for us to be a church that's in the city? Well, let me start here. Did you know that church, uh, cities around the world are exploding in growth? Did you all know that? Do you know that, 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 that in some ways, let me just give you guys actually some statistics here. In 1950, we're going to put some of these stats up there, there was only one city in the world with population over 10 million. Today, there are over 20 cities with over 10 million people, 12 of which arrived in the last 20 years. Cities around the world are exploding at an incredible rate. And many say that by the year 2030, over 60% of the world will live in cities. Over 60%. Let me show you another statistic that I found, in, uh, just to, uh, again, kind of give a little bit of a punch on, on this explosion of cities worldwide. Over the next decade, over half a billion people will move into the cities of Africa and Asia. That means that we're going to see a new Bangkok every two months. The world is becoming urbanized. Some of us, that's great news. Others of us, we're going, the world is running out of places for me to like eventually go to when I'm done with the city. 
People talk about suburban, rural, so on and so forth. The reality is the urban movement will eventually affect the suburbs. It's already doing that now. Cities are exploding worldwide. I want you to get to know your city this morning. City of Chicago, the city that you live in. Here's maybe some things you might not have known. Population of Chicago. In the city, that's just the city limits, there are 3 million people. That's why it's congested. That's why it's crowded. That's why there's lots of people. 3 million. But then if you include the metro Chicago, there's 9 million people in the larger metro Chicago land area. Okay? Now, there's putting numbers to sort of what you've been sensing and feeling. Now, check this out, you guys. And the importance of the city of Chicago. Over 46 million people live within one day drive of the city of Chicago. City of Chicago. Oh, by the way, I didn't put this statistic up there. In all of Illinois, there are about 12.5 million people. That means that 70% of all of Illinois lives in the larger metropolitan Chicago area. Density. City. Here's a a few others that I want to put up there. What about diversity? Okay. Here's what it looks like nationally. Okay. Nationally, there are about 74% white white folks. There's a lot of you there in this country. Okay. Hispanic, Latino, about 15%. Black, African American, about 12%. And us Asian Americans, I I guess all of Asians in the country come to new community, right? So there's like 4.3, there's like 4.3% Asian Americans. I just point out what y'all know to be true, right? Okay, so anyway. But check this out in Chicago. I want you to know your city, Chicago. Look at this. White folks, 38%. Hispanic, Latino, 28%. African American, 35% of our city is African American. And for whatever reason, Asians is the same amount. So all of Chicago comes to our church. All the Asian Americans in Chicago are at our church. Okay? All right, anyway. Chicago is home to, and I didn't put this up there. Look at, listen, Chicago is home to uh, some culture. Some of you guys in the video see like culture. 54 museums, 200 theaters, 15,000 restaurants in the metro Chicago area. We, we eat well here in Chicago, okay? 77 neighborhoods, 31 miles of lakefront, 550 parks. By the way, those of you that live in the city going, there are no parks. There's 550 parks. You just need to go find one. 15 miles of bathing beaches, more than 200 annual parades, and we are home to three of the world's tallest buildings. Chicago is number one for city travel. It is literally the hub of international travel. Somebody said they hate O'Hare. There's a reason why you hate O'Hare. It's the busiest airport in the world, they say. There are other things about Chicago, though, that uh, make the city, for some of you, fearful, dangerous. Not an ideal place to live. Chicago is number two in homicides in the country. In 2008, there were 510 homicides in Chicago. We were narrowly behind New York, which posted 522 murders last year. But this reporter was quick to point out, they consider us number one when you take into account homicides per capita. And by the way, most homicides were concentrated on the south and west sides where the ethnic population tends to be more African-American and Latino. 
This is the city that you live in. This is the city of Chicago. Uh, what's been interesting for me in my journey here is that um, how many of you guys uh, have parents, relatives that say, why you live in the city? The city is dangerous. The city is crime-filled. The city is congested. Right? And they're always saying, you need to move back to, you know, Kansas or Oklahoma or Nebraska or wherever it is. The stereotypes and myths associated with living in the city sometimes seem daunting. It seemed like unscalable walls. Uh, most of you know people who, who, who perhaps filled you. And sometimes our media does too, stereotypes about the city. Do you know that it's also influenced the Christians though? And this is the thing that bothers me most, is that the church has been affected by how we perceive the city. You ever pick up a devotional at a Christian bookstore? Look at the front page. You know what you have in devotional on the front page? You have a waterfall. You have a countryside with horses and cattle and you have a farm. Am I exaggerating? You ever pick up a devotional with like concrete brick, you know, sidewalks? No. Why is that? The, the, the inherent subconscious message is, listen to this, God is in the country. God is in the wilderness. God is not in the streets. And believe it or not, you and I have bought into that in some ways. Um, I, I don't want to belabor this point because I want to get into our main text. But, but here's the thing. There's good reason for being in the country. There's a good reason for retreating into the wilderness. Jesus did so. As it says, he took time to go into the mountains and to pray. But the thing about the gospels that we totally neglect is that after he prayed for three days, he came down and went to where? Into the city, the towns. Where he ministered, where he lived. The thing that I want to make sure that we, we understand today before we kind of go into this is this. The churches also in America follow this mass exodus out of the city out of fear. And the thing that I want to ask us this morning is, shouldn't it be the presence of God that we're after rather than fleeing from what it is that we fear? Shouldn't it be the presence of God that we're after, that we're, we're drawn to? And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to talk to you about God's presence here in the city. Rather than fleeing from what's inconvenient, what's uncomfortable, what's not up to par in terms of my lifestyle. I, I, I want to, 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 to say this this morning. The message this morning is this. I don't want you to just walk out here going, oh, the city, that's a good idea. I want you to love your city. There's a picture of Jesus weeping for the city of Jerusalem. I want us to be a church that weeps for our city. I, 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 I'm not worried about us being disdain, sort of having a disdain or indifference towards the city. But here's the challenge for our church. I want us to be a church that loves the city of Chicago. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want you to love this city. I want you to weep for this city. Not because you couldn't catch that bus and it's too cold outside and it's so cold that you start crying, you know. I want you to, I want you to love this city. I want you to love this city. Now, I know uh, there, there are pretty big challenges to, to, to kind of getting this across. Uh, real quick, real quick, I, I, I want to I I highlight some things. The, the, the Bible, just to know, just for you to know that this isn't sort of my just coming up with stuff. The Bible focuses on 119 cities in over 1,000 passages in the Old Testament and 160 passages in the New Testament. Some scholars have noted that the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy, Joshua, Ruth, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Jonah, Nahum, and Daniel are developed structurally around cities. 
They're stories that occur within cities. And theologically, some scholars have noted that God begins history in a garden, but it ends in a city. God tells Adam and Eve in Genesis to to, to have dominion. What does that mean? Have dominion is essentially be about culture making. That's what God was saying. God's intention from the very get-go was that Adam and Eve would use the resources and the gifts that God had given them, make culture, and build culture, build a city. So much so that when we see the second Adam, Jesus, coming back to restore the earth, we see new heavens and new earth in Revelation 21, 22, and it's a city. When the world is finally in the condition that Jesus died to produce, it's a city. An urban future awaits us. The city is not just a sociological, demographic thing that just happened. I want you to understand that the city is a vital part of God's redemptive plan. I want you to understand that the city is God's vital part of redemptive plan. Cities growing and exploding is not just because culture, demographic patterns. The city is a vital part of God's redemptive plan for the world. Some of you this morning, what I'm going to talk about will be music to your ears because you love everything about the city. But then there's some of you, this is you. You're here for a season. That is, as soon as I get married, I'm out of here. For some of you, you're here for a reason. As soon as I graduate, as soon as I'm done with that job or get a better job or whatever happens, I'm out here. I want you to know the message of God. I want you to love the city. I want you to be invested in the city. I want to be committed to the city because I'm at work. I'm here. And I love the city. Amen? All right, so here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to go ahead and see a text in Scripture, and we're going to focus on this one text, okay? And I want to draw out some principles about what this means, and I'm going to be dialoguing with you at this morning. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. It's a passage that some of you are familiar with. Let me just give you a bit of a background about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, this letter is written to who? Israelites, Jewish exiles who've been captive or taken captives to the big bad mega city of Babylon or the Babylonian Empire, okay, by a big bad dude named Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So he's taken to the city, and this city is the epitome of a secular, pluralistic, godless, are there many gods according to godless, congested, multilingual, multinational city. It's a cesspool as far as the Israelites are concerned. It's a can I say this word? It's a hellhole. Is that a bad word? Okay. Okay. So to the Jews, I looked up in the dictionary. I'm like, it's in the dictionary. So it might not be a swear word. But then I realized a swear word's in the dictionary. Okay. It is to the Jews. It is to the Jews. Like the, so here's what they did. Here's what they did. They had prophets telling them, God doesn't want you to be in the city. This is not the place you want to be. So here's what they did. The Jews, the Israelites, settled outside the city, established these religious ghettos where they read their left-behind books, watching movies made by guys formerly known as Mike Seaver, going to Christian coffee shops, drinking Christian coffee. (laughs) 
living a completely detached life from the city, saying the city is bad, the city is evil, the city is wicked, there's nothing good about it, so we're going to stay out here. And they had prophets, men of God, telling them that's exactly what God wants you to do. And God says, hello, people, I have a surprise for you. This is what God says. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. By the way, can I just stop there? I just find this so funny. God says, find wives for your sons. And he doesn't say, and find daughters or find, find uh, husbands for your daughter. It says specifically, find wives for your sons. And I can see why counseling like single men in our church. Well, how do you want to marry her? She's hot. And she have a brain? She's hot. Does she love Jesus? She's hot. Find wives for your sons. Or like for pastors, find wives for your single young men and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. For I know the plans I have for you. Notice the pronouns. Notice the pronouns. God says, I know the plans I have. Okay, whose plans? Whose plans? Who knows? God knows. My plans, God, I want you to bless. God goes, no, no, no. I know the plans I have for you. Anybody struggling with that right now? Anybody struggling with that right now about whether to live in the city or to leave? Anybody struggling with that right now about whether to marry that person or not? Anybody struggling about whether to And the list goes on. I know the plans I have for you. What does your prayer life look like? What does your spiritual posture look like? Is it God? Indeed, your plans that you have for me. It's not even part of the sermon, but I just want to throw it out there. Okay. So I know plans are the glorious Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Okay. What do we understand from this passage? Mission of our church. Here's the first point. Ready? Say it with me. Get a bigger picture of what God is doing. Say it again. Get a bigger picture of what God is doing. What do I mean? Verses 4 and 7. Twice God spells out, he carried them to the city. He carried them to the city. The word carried is a much more active word than just God allowed me to be in the city. What God is saying to them is this. You being in the city right now at this time is a part of my sovereign plan for you. It's not an accident. It's not just by happenstance or chance. And twice God says this, just so they know. Principle, God is incredibly interested in where you live. Why? It's meant to draw you near to God. The place where you live is meant to draw you near to God. You being in Chicago is so that you would draw near to him. Really? That's why this passage goes on. And in verse uh, 12, it says, Then you will call upon me, 
and, and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, the, when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And Apostle Paul picks up on this this passage, I believe, in Acts 17. Listen to what he says. God determined the time set for them and the exact what? Say it. Exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and find him. Where you live is for God to draw you to him. How would this affect your attitude about why you're in Chicago? How would this affect your attitude about your time here in Chicago and the city at this time? No, no, see, the video, why are you here? I go to school. I beg to differ. You're here because God wants to draw you near to him. Why are you in the city of Chicago? I got a job here. And that's what God wants to draw you near to him. Oh, I'm here because I like the culture, the music. God wants to draw you near to him. And I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. Because if this is the principle that's found in scripture, if your general posture is one of, I don't like it here, I don't want to be here, what would that mean in terms of you knowing and sensing God wanting to draw you Get a bigger picture of what God is doing. Uh, here's, here's how I've seen this at work in, 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 in Chicago. I mean, there are many ways in which this has played out. But here's one way in which I've, I've seen this play out about how God uses a city to draw people to him, you know, to, for, for them to seek him. Here, here's what I find. Do, do you know who comes to Chicago for a lot of people? Uh, people that want to make money, people that want to be successful come to Chicago. Okay? Because Chicago, listen to this, leads the nation in a number of business sectors. Did you know that? Check this out. Chicago is number one in high-tech employment. How many of you guys work in some sort of an area involved or connected to high-tech? <laughs> Y'all in the right city? 347,100 workers. High-tech $35 billion of output each year. 7,100, 7,100 companies in the high-tech industry. Check this out. Chicago is also the number two financial center right behind New York in the number of Fortune 500 companies that are represented here. Number one distribution center, number one manufacturing, $73 billion worth of manufacturing. Number one in data transmission by volume. Can somebody help me out here? What, what the heck is this? Number one data transmission by volume, 10 terabytes per day. Okay. <laughs> People communicate a lot in Chicago. Okay, anyway. So, um, and it's also the number one urban medical district. Number one urban medical district. You know who else is in Chicago? People are very bright. One of the nation's best for higher education, 487,000 students, 480,000 students are currently enrolled in 98 higher education institutions. That adds up to more than 20,500 master's degrees, 4,000 professional degrees, and 1,850 doctoral degrees in Chicago every year. Now, education doesn't equate to intelligence or smart. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. Number of people for whom education is a priority and value are drawn to Chicago 
because the kinds of institutions that are represented here. Now, why do I share all this? Here's how I've seen the city of Chicago being a place that draws people to God. Here's what happens. There's a foundation of belief here in New Community that we talk about all the time, and that is this. God created men and women to be in relationship with him because that's where we have life. When we talk about life in this church, we're not just talking about living. We always talk about this. It's the difference between being alive, being alive and just existing. God created men and women, the scripture tells us in Genesis, to be alive, to be in loving relationship with him. God gives them a choice. God says, you could do that living under my rule and reign, living according to my ways, or you could choose your way. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided to choose their way. All of a sudden, disintegration. Sin enters the world. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Our relationship with the created order is broken. They realize that they're naked, the Bible says. Their nakedness is not just a physical thing. Their nakedness is a comment of a larger picture. Bible says that we are meant to be saved. What does salvation mean? Salvation is just a religious thing. Salvation is just something that we do in order to get heaven. Salvation is restoring the sense of lostness that we had in the garden. Salvation is restoring the sense of loss. What did we lose in the garden? We lost a sense of acceptance. We lost a sense of being loved. We lost a sense of meaning in life. And the Bible says, the Bible says, that what we do in order to find salvation, because we were created to, we were created for love, we were created for acceptance, we were created for meaning. What we do in our lives when we are apart from God is what Martin Luther called functional saviors. We seek other things in order to find acceptance, in order to find love, in order to find meaning. You know why I talk about this so often? Do you know why I talk about this every single Sunday? Because this is the epitome and the crux of many of our struggles today. Why do you work so much? Why are you so driven by money? Why does that relationship matter so much to you that without it, you, you're crushed? People that I meet in the city every day, every week, remind me of this truth. This rupture of our relationship with God has caused an enormous vacuum in our souls. And so here's what we do. We come into the city and say, education that's what will fulfill me. We come into the city and say, romance, and that's what will fulfill me. We come into the city and we say, success, that's what will fulfill me. Some of us, we come into the city and say, morality, being a good person, working on behalf of the poor and oppressed, that is what will fulfill me. Some of you are sitting here today, today, today. Do you know why you're in the city of Chicago? Because God wants you to draw near to him. How does he want you to draw near to him? For you to realize that the functional saviors that you are giving your entire life for are dead. Come on, let's just be honest. Some of you are just flat out burnt out this morning. You're exhausted. You can't just keep going. Why? You come in and realize that thing that you came to the city for will never be enough. It'll never be enough. You're sitting here this morning with your eyes sort of glazing over and I ask you, is there life? Are you alive? Is there meaning? You say, no. Why? Who is your God? Who is your functional Savior? Who is it that you live for? You're basing your identity on. You're living your identity on. Do you know what the gospel does and why it's so powerful in the city? Because the gospel comes and says, you, finding your salvation, your identity, what you do, who you're with, how much money you make, you have that because Jesus Christ lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died. And when you place your faith in him and him alone, 
Even though we are more wicked and sinful than we dare believe, we are more accepted and we are more loved than we dare hope at the same time. You have that acceptance. You have that love in Jesus. He is drawing you near to him. He is drawing you near to him. I wish you guys had the perspective that I do. I wish you had the perspective that 25-year-old young man that walks into my office making $250,000 a year to which many of you guys are going, oh, if I only had that. If you knew how empty his life is, if you knew how lonely he feels, if you knew how utterly meaningless he thinks life is, because he's basing his entire identity and life on that. If you only had the perspective of seeing relationship after relationship, or men and women walk into my office and they're crushed, they're not just hurt. When you break up with somebody, it hurts. You know, your feelings are hurt, you're sad, you have heart, you have emotions, right? But there's a difference between that and you feeling like, I can't live anymore. Why are you here? God wants you to draw near to him. You need the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you and says that you are absolutely loved, absolutely accepted, not because of what it is that you are killing yourself for, but because Jesus was killed on your behalf. See, the thing that you're after in the city, look, I know our church. I know why there's a sense of, oh, here, because 70, 80% of you are what they call young professionals, also known as way too busy with your life, way too much on their plate, complaining about the fact that there's no community while wanting to do nothing about wanting to clear your life, and driven by success, driven by money, driven by fame, driven by power, driven by all the values of the world. Jesus Christ, gospel of Jesus Christ. You have what you're looking for in him because of his death and resurrection. Hey, one last note, I'm going to move on. You want to be free? Do you want to be free? Are you tired of being enslaved? Because, because if you think that you're really free, you're fooling yourself. There's nobody free in this room. There's not one single one of us that's free. You are enslaved to something. You will give your life to something. If it's not the creator, it's something else. And whatever it is, that thing, it's got you enslaved. It's got you bound. You want to be free? Admit today that you're not. That's the first step. Admit today you're not free. You're bound. You are giving your heart and your life for that. And it's meaningless. It's utterly empty and it's dead. Admit it. Can you do that? It's the first step, admitting it. Secondly, you got to acknowledge, God, I can't. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I don't even believe. But I, I, I acknowledge to you that me seeking my life and salvation in this, it's Empty, it's dead. I'm talking to you Christians too. Why are you in the city? God is drawing you near to him. Uh, the second principle that we see. Oh, before I, just real quick, guys. I, I, need to, I need to say this. In Chicago, you know what I've realized? In Chicago, you'll come across people who are attractive on the outside, bright, fashionable, successful, have everything on the outside put together, and yet on the inside, they are dying. Have you and I become so fooled that we look at these people and go, oh, they can't possibly need Jesus. They don't possibly need God. Look at them. They, do you know why we think that for many of us? Because if you and I are moving in the same, if you and I are moving, if you and I spend all of our time with people who are already moving in the direction of God, 
How in the world would you have another perspective that there are people who are dying without Jesus? If all of your time is spent with people who are already moving in the direction of God, who already know him, how could you possibly understand and know the level of emptiness void that's out there? How would you possibly know? I've come to realize that if you claim to love God and yet show no interest in people around you, that they eventually will conclude that God is not interested in them. If you claim to know God and love God and show no interest in people who need God, eventually people will conclude that God is not interested in them. But if you take time and you're intentional in building your life with someone who doesn't know Jesus, so here's my challenge to you, just a real quick before I go. Uh, what, what can you do concretely, tangibly this year? And I say this every year to you guys, to make room in your life, to be in genuine relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Can I just say this to some of you? What Christian activity do you need to cut out? Just college students? <laughs> Why are you going to like three small groups a week? Why you do that? And then on top of that, a large group, and then on top of that, church. Stop it. For those of you, us that are not in college, I'm serious. I'm serious. It is important. Christian community is important. Being in time and, and relationship with Christians are important. But seriously, what Christian activity do you need to cut out? Okay. I want to thank the volunteers, tech, worship, because I want everybody that helps out on Sunday mornings to hear this and hear this clearly. Do you know why you do what you do? Do you know why we appreciate and love what you do? Because what you do creates an environment where somebody, somebody who's a brana seeking, searching for God would walk into a moment where because of something that somebody says or somebody does, they will walk into a moment on a Sunday morning and possibly hear the voice of God and encounter him. That's why you do what you do. This is not for show. You do what you do because that environment cannot be created, first and foremost, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, but apart from your hard, dedicated work of saying, we want this to be a place where somebody will come and encounter God. Thank you for you too. Thank you for what you did. You are doing kingdom work. Kingdom work. Uh, Secondly, principle let's just go through this passage uh plan for a longer than expected stay in the city can i say that can i say that can i get an amen i know that i'm trying to come amen plan for a longer than expected stay in the city look at verse five build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your did i comment on that already Okay, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. The Israelites were expecting that their stay in the city of Babylon will be a short stay. They have prophets reminding them. God comes along and says, uh, 70 years. Huh? 70 years I want you to stay. Now here's the thing. Don't get caught up on the number. Do you know what God was saying? God was saying, I want you to be there in generations that you would have maximum impact in the city you're living in. So uh, 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 James Boyce, anybody know James Boyce? Wrote a, uh, wrote a book called Two Cities, Two Loves. He said this, Christianity in the United States lost its influence when it fled the cities. It can be argued that there's a direct correlation between the flight to the suburbs and a corresponding loss of influence in our culture. 
And he suggests in his book that even if 10% of all the Christians in the United States moved back into the largest cities and encompassed two, three generations living lives of radical love, truth, and servanthood, the culture in this, in this country can be radically changed. That's a powerful insight from me. Powerful insight from me. God is saying, if you want the entire culture to change, if you want the entire culture to be shaped to, to, to reflect the kingdom of God, we need you to stay in the city and be committed, not just until you get married, not just until you finish your job, but generations. Now, I want you to show you some statistics about early church history that you might not be aware of. The early church history growth. Let me just put the statistics up there. Look at this, you guys. The growth of Christianity in the Roman Empire, okay? Check this out, and, and you'll see the numbers, and I'll get to the point here. In 40 AD, there was about 1,000 Christians, general estimate, okay? 50, 1,400, and it goes on. Now, watch, 300 AD, you're talking about over 6 million people, which was 10.5% of the, of the entire Roman population based on 60 million. But in the half of the 4th uh, 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 century uh, AD, over 33, almost 34 million Christians 56% of the entire Roman population was Christian. Why? Does anybody know this? 90%, some scholars estimate, 90% of the 33 million people lived where? In the cities of the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, some scholars note that 90% of the country was still pagan. The word pagan some scholars would say it comes from the root word paganus, which means man of the country or farmer. It's a historical fact. It's a historical fact. You want to argue with me? You can argue. I'll just give you books. It's a historical fact today. Christianity, when it flourished, it hit the major urban centers of the Roman Empire, and it is from there that Christianity spread like wildfire. Why? Cities are culture-forming wombs of our society. Cities are what some scholars say, culture-forming wombs of society. In other words, the very people that shape what we watch, what we listen to, the very same people. Look, think of our culture as a stream, as a stream, okay? And we drink from the stream. And it's funny to me how Christians bemoan and complain about the garbage that we drink out of, right? A lot of Christians. And I'm going, why is that stream the way it is? There's a pool in the uh, upstream from where the stream is flowing from. So if you want to change what it is that we're drinking from in the movies and the music, then somebody ought to go, can we go up and maybe influence the pool from which the stream flows out of? And the cities were the pools from which streams flew out of in culture. That's James Boyce's argument, and that's what we see happening in the Roman Empire, is that when Christians in large numbers settled in cities and lived in cities and lived lives of radical love, servanthood, changing the arts, technology, law, medicine, philosophy, all the culture-shaping forces, it changed the culture, it changed the Roman Empire. And it still does that today. Do you realize the people that shape our culture in terms of what we listen to, what we watch, what our value systems are? When you go to the grocery store, what you see on the magazines, when you pick up a newspaper, what it is that they tell you? All the people, all the people that are the major players in terms of shaping that live disproportionately in large cities like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, and the list goes on. When Christianity captured the cities of the Roman Empire, was able to change and influence the culture. One other thing, you guys have heart for the global sort of movement of Christianity. Some of you guys that want to reach the world, guess what? Do you know that there are over 10,000 international students in the city of Chicago on a given year? 
These are the best and brightest that will go back to their countries in governments, in medicine, in law, speaking up for those that are oppressed. The people that are getting their education here and going back, 10,000, over 10,000 international students going back and influencing every single corner of the world, they're in cities of Chicago. Now, what does this mean for us? Building community in the city is incredibly difficult. Building authentic community where we become this counterculture force is incredibly difficult in the city. Why? How many of you guys know it's expensive? It's really expensive. By the way, let me just on a side note here. There are folks within our own church for whom the city is getting too expensive to live even in this community. Uh, Jenny, see you back there. Jenny has been informing us about this movement to change Milwaukee Avenue to get rid of basically people who are renting so they could turn it into condos. That's not just happening in that street of Milwaukee. That's happening all over the city of Chicago. And Jenny briefly mentioned the video corruption. The reality is people that are about the bottom line and making money are thinking nothing about people they can't afford to rent. I'm going to show you statistics a little bit later. Do you know the number of people that are paying more than half of their income in rent in Chicago? Half of their income. That's the reality that's facing us today. So it's not just about, you know, well, I don't want to live here. There are people who want to be in Chicago, but they can because it's expensive. One reason why community is incredibly hard, developing relationships long-term. Also, you guys are so incredibly busy. I mean, the intensity of the city and the driven of the city, you work 40, 50, 60 hours, and then some. But one of the main factors why community has been hard is because people are transient. People move all the time. So here is my call and challenge once again to those of you we're thinking. Stay longer than expected. Were you planning to be here one year? Stay, what? Two years. See, you know this now. You're planning to be here two years? Stay what? Four years. Planning to be here four years? Stay eight years. Were you planning to go, you know what, I kind of like it here, I may not, I don't know. Plan on prayerfully saying, God, maybe I am here long term. Maybe this is where I raise my family. Maybe this is where I stay committed. Maybe this is where I stay invested. Because we could bemoan the lack of community all we want. But you know, the reality is, unless we commit together as a community, say we want to be together, live together, do life together long term. Long term. The challenge are enormous for us to be this culture-shaping force in this city. Now, for some of you guys, it'll be irresponsible for you to not to move. I'm going to say this once again, because I don't want people coming and going, I can't believe you said that we all need to settle in Chicago. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you guys, God has called you elsewhere. God has called you to other cities. God has called you to other places in the country and all over the world. And when it's time for you to go, I'm going to be the biggest one to give you a give you a kiss and go, God bless you. Go! But! <laughs> I got to put it in my butt. There's a difference between people who know that God is drawing them somewhere and feel a particular call versus just saying, eh, time to try something new. Time to try something new. Oh. I mean, it's okay, I suppose. <laughs> try something new. I, I, you know, I, I mean, 20-something, I understand. I lived in like four different places when I was in my 20s and traveled all over the place. But the reality is, I wish I knew when I'm in my 20s, some of the stuff that I'm telling you today, which is, <laughs> I can't believe I had to say this when you're my age. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I 
I'm getting to this stage in life. Can I just tell you guys, I'm getting to this stage in life where you know what I'm realizing? The most important, valuable thing in your life will be relationships. The most important thing in your life will be people. It's not going to be your job. It's not how much money you make. It's not what you get to do. You're going to come to a place in your life where you're going to go, I desperately long for family, for community, for people. And in this journey, can I just, I just want to respond to two big complaints slash sort of, you know, that I've heard from people about the city and and, and put up there. I, I hear some people say this. But I don't want to be here because it's not comfortable. I just, I just, I'm going to be quick with this. The last time I checked the Bible, being comfortable was not a part of the deal of following Jesus. Have you and I been so influenced by comfort, pleasure-seeking culture that we live and breathe in that anything that smacks of, oh, I got to, uh, we go, uh-uh, uh Are we so influenced, inundated by a comfort-seeking, pleasure-seeking culture that anything that smacks of discomfort, even for the glory of God and for the kingdom, we say no to? Since when is the primary value of being a follower of Jesus what's comfortable for you, what's comfortable for me? You know what I realized in Scripture? It appears that oftentimes God will put us in uncomfortable situations, not because it's comfortable, but because it's most useful. Hello? God comes to Abraham. I have an enormous plan for you to bless the world, man. Bless the world, God. I'm on board with that. Okay, you're going to move to a place where you're not going to know anybody, you're going to feel uncomfortable, and you're not going to really feel like you can dig down roots. Can you do that? Abraham says, I can do that. And here we are today. The best example, Jesus. Can you just imagine the conversation with Jesus and God? Uh, Jesus. Where am I going? Bible says he takes on flesh and bone. I mean, for crying out loud, this is Jesus. He's enjoying the praise and glory of heaven. And he willingly chooses, as Eugene Peter says in the message, to move into the hood. That's my translation of Eugene Peterson's translation. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is he moved into the neighborhood. Oftentimes, God will put you in places not because most comfortable, because most useful. Is that maybe why you're in Chicago? Hmm? Okay. Second complaint that I hear. I love this one. I don't want to be in Chicago because it's not convenient. Okay. Can I just... Love is not convenient. Love is not, loving your neighbor as yourself will inconvenience you. Hello? Uh, Apparently it's resonating this morning, Michael, with people. You saying yes or no to God's initiatives, to the people he sends and the things he wants you to do will oftentimes be an inconvenience, but loving your neighbor as yourself. See, it's inconvenient for me when Flacco comes to my office and my face says, don't bother me. But he walks in anyway. 
and says, the only one that can punk me is God. The standard tagline. And he plopped on on the chair. And I'm going, read my fig. And it's clear he's not going to leave. So he sits there. How you doing, pastor? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good. Good. And inside I'm going, it's going to be long. <laughs> so how are you? And he just fills me in on his week one. That's all. Five minutes. It's not convenient that when I come out of my office to go get some lunch and I come back, some of the homeless men and women are at the corner, like yesterday when it's freezing, and I literally just went out just to grab something, come back, and they stop me and they carry on a 45-minute conversation about what I preached about two weeks ago, which I don't even remember. <laughs> I was at Starbucks. one of the guys who works there. I, I, I just call him Tom to kind of, that's not a real, real name. I, I was working there and, and, and he comes up to me and he says, uh, he says, can I ask you a question? He paused down. I said, sure. I've gotten to know everybody there. He goes, uh, did you by any chance leave like a sheet of paper with like Bible verses the other week? I'm going, literally, you know what I'm, I'm going, okay. I think I know where this is going. He's going to say, you can't do that here. You can't proselytize. That's not like cool. So I'm going, mm, no, yes, no, no, yes. I, I can't remember, you know. I don't want to lie. I don't remember, you know. So it's kind of a ness, ness. Combination no and a yes, ness. I, I just feel him. He goes, no, it was you. It was you. I'm sure I was cleaning and I'm very, you know, I'm very meticulous. I know who sits where. It's like, it was you. I said, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, in, in the habit of like leaving like Bible verses, you know, that's my evangelism, you know, I'm going to leave Bible verses all over coffee shops, you know, people sit down and go, oh, what's this? Oh, watch, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I need Jesus in my life, Jesus. It doesn't it it work that way, right? So he says, he says to me, he goes, um, by the way, I, and I'm, I'm such a terrible, you know, Pastor, I, I've got one headphone in one ear, you know, and one drop. You know, it's my sign to go, don't make this too long, right? That type of thing. So, so, Micah, don't learn these skills, okay? So I'm doing that. He finally says to me, he goes, it was you. And I said, yeah, I must have been. And then he says, uh, not a Christian, not religious. He says, uh, do you know that the verses that were on there were the exact things that I needed for that day? I'll be completely honest with you guys. At that point, I honestly thought my job is done. My duty is done. He got the Bible verses he needed done. And then the Holy Spirit says, love is not convenient. Put that headphone on. Sit. Talk to the man. Every day, you are reminded, I am reminded by the inconvenience of the city. We drive by communities that are broken, that are hurting. And it's inconvenient to be aware of the hurt and broken, isn't it? Because unless you're hard-hearted or you're in serious denial, your heart will be affected. You see, it's inconvenient when somebody just drops by your office or drops by your house because they want to talk or because they have a need. It's inconvenient. 
But maybe it's in that conversation with the homeless man that Jesus is present. Maybe it's in Tom at the Starbucks coffee shop who needed those Bible verses for that day. And sure, the 30 minutes I could have used to do other things, but 30 minutes for him perhaps meant something that was very important. Every day you and I have a choice to say yes or no to God's inconveniences in our lives of living in this city. What will you do? There's one last thing I want to share. Is that okay? And it's what we find here first. Okay? Be a little city in the larger city of Chicago. Verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Uh, uh, let, me just, let me just say this, because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, there's, there's two aspects in which we are a little city within the larger city of Chicago. First and foremost is our life together. How do we live in community together that we become a demonstration of the kingdom of God? How do we live together in such a way that we're inviting the world to watch us and saying, now that's how a city ought to be. That's how society ought to be. That's how a culture ought to be. How are we inviting the world to watch and look at us in terms of how we deal with issues of money, sexuality, in terms of of economic resources and all those things in such a way that they see a demonstration of the future world that is coming? Are we such an example in this little city of Chicago, the way we do life in this little city, that the larger city would want to look be a part of this little city of Chicago? What does it mean for us? Well, here's, here's a handful. Uh, I talked about economic sharing last week. I got another sort of two, actually, email slash messages from people in our church saying, I lost my job. Do you know some folks who could use work and some skill sets I have to provide? It is a reality that in our church, there are financially and economically hurting people. How do we as a church take care of each other so that the Bible, remember last week, so that there's no needy among us? Wow. Wow, can you imagine us being a community, Acts 4, that there's no needy among us? Uh, I got hammered by some people from last week's sermon because they said, you're talking about money. What about other things like time, like energy, resources, our housing? And all those things, of course, they're important. And of course, they're part of this radical sharing. There's a young man in our church who needs a place to stay. Because he and his fiance are committed to sexual purity and they're sort of living together right now, right? And he's looking for a place to stay. If we're not the kind of church where, some, where we can't open up our home and a couch to a young man who wants to stay sexually pure until he's married, to honor God and to be a witness, that we shouldn't be here. If we can't even meet the need of somebody who just needs to crash in somebody's college for three months until they get married, we shouldn't even be here. Amen? That's simple. And yet it's radical in our culture. What about this? We live in a city where because of the, 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 the econ- economics and the, and the intensity of it and the drivenness, we live in a city where we look at relationships as a means to an end. What can I get out of you? Can I advance my job? Can I advance my career? How do you benefit me? How about if we become a community where we look at relationships simply through the eyes of they are God's creation made in the image of God and have dignity and worth just because of that. And we invest ourselves in relationships not because we get something from them, but because God loves them and we're simply loving our neighbors.
Uh, we live in the most diverse city in the country. The most segregated country. Segregated city in the country. Uh, I'm not even going to just go on this, but because it's just it's an enormous prayer request for us. But are we truly a racially reconciled community where walls of self-protection are coming down? Are we truly a racially reconciled community where we're loving each other and involved in genuine relationships that go beyond Sundays? Are we an ethnically, culturally, truly reconciled, united community that the world can look at us, the city of Chicago can look at us and say, out there is segregation, racism, separation, self-protection. In the little city of Chicago called New Community, oneness, love, picture of the kingdom. One last thing. What about in this community? How about how we deal with sexuality? I say this all the time. Us being an altered community is not just us going, okay, I'm not going to have sex until I'm married. That's easy. Well, okay. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be that. But you know what? The bar is like down here for Christians these days are saying, well, if you're single, you know, just, oh, forget about the fact that you have a major lusting problem. Forget about the fact you have a major, you know, addiction problem. You know, just if, if you just don't have sex. What about this? How about if we put the bar up here and we say, here's how we deal with sexuality in our church. See, we actually honor chastity. We actually honor celibacy because it's the way of God for those who are not married. And we as a community come around you because it's going to require a family for you to feel absolutely loved and cared for so that you can be okay being single. Are we that kind of a community? Now listen very carefully. Us being a little city in the largest city of Chicago doesn't just involve that, but it involves us also, watch this, moving outward to serve the good of the city as a whole. It's not enough that we are just a counterculture community in and of ourselves saying, world watch. The Bible says God to seek the shalom, peace and prosperity, shalom of the larger city of Chicago. Move out into the city of Chicago. Listen to this, you guys. Here's a city that you live in that you might not be aware of. When I really started digging into this, I was shocked. And my heart just absolutely broken over this. Here's Chicago area poverty that you might not even be aware of. Over 570,000 people in the city of Chicago live below the poverty line. That means that almost 20% of the city's total population lives below the poverty line. Poverty line in the United States is people who make a little over $14,500 for a family of mom and two kids. The average cost of living in the city of Chicago for a mom and two kids, right around 37000 20% almost of Chicagoans live in poverty. Poverty in Chicago spans racial, ethnic, age, gender, familial, geographic boundaries. But let me tell you the breakdown of how disproportionate it is. Being employed is no guarantee, by the way, against poverty in the Chicago region. Over 56,000 people, next slide please, who work full-time year-round still fall below the poverty line. So you know what? For people that think if they would just get a job, they have jobs. 56,000 people who work full-time year-round still fall below the poverty line. Nearly 210,000 people who work part-time or part of the year, poverty line. Housing, I mentioned it earlier. Housing that is affordable to low-income households in high demand but in short supply. Check this out. Percent of renters are a number of people paying over half of their income, half of their income to housing costs. Almost 140, over 140,000, 140,000 people in the Chicagoland area pay half of their income to rent, which means they have half of their income then to pay and live on the rent. Matter of fact, nine of 12 public housing authorities in Chicago region that offer housing vouchers 
have waiting lists that are closed. That means people can't even sign up to be on a waiting list. Growing number of families needing food assistance, year 2000, 182,000. And it's not, it's not accidental with the economy. 236,000 people over who are in need of food assistance and food stamps. But the thing that broke my heart more than anything else is child poverty. Maybe it's because I'm a father now and I have two kids. But the thought of my kids, and let me just show you this, the thought of my kids. Um, children make up 26% of the total U.S. population, but they make up 36% of the nation's poor. In Chicago, children make up 19.6% of the overall population, but close to 30% of kids, children in Chicago, are living below the poverty line. More than 40% of the nation's 12 million children live in what researchers call deep poverty, meaning that 5 million of those kids are actually living on less than 50% of the U.S. poverty level. At the time of the last consensus, census, 103,000 Chicago children lived in deep poverty. And out of those 15 of the 77 designated community areas in Chicago, more than 25% of the kids are growing up poor. Can I just, what do we do about this? This is our city. This isn't Africa. This isn't some place in South America. This is your neighbors. These are my neighbors. If we are going to be the city and alternate city, it's not enough for us to go, look at us, watch us. The Bible says somehow. Do we have the good news that resurrection is not just afterlife, but that God's resurrection means that they can come out of the desperate situations that they're in now? I don't have the answers. See, I wasn't going to come up here and go, so let's do these things. I'm not going to do that because, you know what, that's, that's frankly being dismissive of the enormity of the issue. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to pray, and I need you to talk to us. I need us to talk to each other as a community this year about what does it mean for us to move forward. I'll tell you one thing that we're doing. As a church, as we looked at our budget for this year, little more than 10, 11% of our budget is going to minister to the poorest to the poor. I said to our leadership team, I said, we need to be a church where we're giving 20% of our entire budget to the poorest of the poor. If we're asking our church people to tithe their income so they give to the Lord's work, we as a church need to do better than that. And let's move forward in such a way that we will give more and more percentage of our to ministering to and caring for the poorest of the poor. Is that good news to you guys? Because that's the kind of church we want to be. Lastly, I want to end with this. See what God sees and learn to love your city. Now, even going up. Verse 7 says, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Pray to the Lord for it. You know what God was saying there? God was saying, I want you to have a positiveness towards the city. I want you to have a positiveness towards the city. Not just indifferent, not just disdainful, but I want you to have a positiveness towards the city. I want you to see what I see, and I want you to love your city. Pray for your city and seek the shalom. Can I just share with you guys the journey that I've been on about loving our city? 
Do you guys recognize that we live in a culture where we learn to perceive beauty externally? Everybody? Do you know what that means? That means that the way that the culture conditions us, it's impossible to see what people call the urban jungle or the concrete jungle and see beauty. I'm learning and realizing that real beauty, being on this journey of finding real beauty is not looking for different landscapes, but really looking through a different set of eyes. I'm learning in Chicago that loving this city is not about escape to different landscapes, but it's really getting close enough to people to see the beauty in their lives. Maybe for many of us, the journey for this year and the upcoming years is not. Is this making sense to anybody? I'm not just waxing poetic. Do, 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 do. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. I walk outside, and if you're like a lot of people, they go, ugh, where's the ocean? Ugh, where's the mountain? Which is okay. I love Asians. I, oh, Asians. I love oceans, and I love mountains. I do. I do. I do. I'm talking too fast because I don't have time. And I do. But, but here's the thing I'm realizing. I'm realizing that I go out, and real beauty in the city, and loving the city doesn't mean looking at the circumstance that real beauty in the city is getting close enough to people that I know people that are around me people that I interact with and seeing the beauty in their lives and so stop looking at different landscapes to get close enough to people see I love the fact that I need the city as much as the city needs me see I love the fact that my son and Leslie share this I love the fact that my son goes to a school called Burr Elementary we're like 90% of the students are Latino. I love the fact that his teacher is Miss Gonzalez, Puerto Rican lady, and Miss McGill, African-American lady. I love the fact that for my son, education is more than reading, learning how to read. Education for my son is looking at these wonderful ladies and saying, God created them. God created them. And somehow it's a little brain, he makes a connection. Barack Obama, Miss McGill. I love the fact that my son will grow up in an environment where he'll learn to appreciate and learn to love this city. I love the fact that I'll be sitting in my office and homeless men and women will teach me about generosity. They'll walk in with a gift or a present. What's, what's the holiday? No holiday, Pastor. I just want to say thank you. And the inside of me goes, oh, no, I'm not going to accept that. Why? Because I'm proud. Because I'd rather give than receive. And to humble myself. But they're teaching me about generosity. They are. I need the city as much as the city needs me. I love the fact that the city is full of bright, intelligent, bright, intelligent non-Christians. And my conversations with them throughout the last seven years has taught me to be a better Christian. A smarter Christian. Because when I came into the city, I was all full of these, you know, thoughts like, oh, non-Christians, this is why they're not a Christian, this is why they don't love Jesus, only to realize that they have very good reasons why they're not Christian. And they've taught me to be less judgmental. <laughs> Maybe beauty is in the city because God is here. And just like an artist takes raw material and says, huh, it doesn't look good right now, but you know what? I get beyond this because there's art here. There's beauty here. Maybe what God wants you and I to do is to work through. Know that God is here. Know that God loves the city. He was here long before we got here. And he calls us to join him in the work.
Pray for the city. Seek the peace and prosperity. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I need the city as much as the city needs me. What a concept. Let's pray. quiet moments that we have we don't have a long time for those of you who get this understand it you're here you're going to be here until you die and your kids are going to be here until they die you just need to sit there put a big old smile on your face and say God we thank you for uh, what you are doing in us and, 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 and your commitment to the city by God's grace my prayer really is, and this moment really is for some of you who either have questions or wrestling or not decided and unsure and perhaps even indifferent and disdainful. Would you in this quiet, quiet moment allow God to speak to you and listen to him? Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? Maybe you know what he's calling you to do, but you just don't want to do it. That's okay. Tell him. Be honest with him. Say, God, I know what you're calling me to do, but I don't want to do it. That's what he wants to hear. You being honest with him, you being real with him and saying, God, but don't just end there and saying, God, but, but will you work in my heart? Will you speak? I need to hear from you. Give me the courage. Give me a heart of obedience. And at this time, can we all stand? Uh, because of time, we're not going to be able to sing this song and let. Natalie, if you continue to play, worship team, just continue to. Can you stand up? And can you join hands with whoever's standing next to you? Worship team, if you guys up there could also join hands with whoever you're next to.
And I want you to pray for your brother and your sister standing next to you. We've just begun this year. This is the mission vision God has given us. Just offer up a quick prayer to your neighbors. Say, God, help my brother and my sister live out and fulfill the mission of God here in the city of Chicago in the ways that you have called them to. Pray that prayer. Lift them up to the Lord. Moment I'm away. Have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. Give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake. For the last time, Lord, have your way in me. That's our prayer. And as we depart and leave this place, not as individuals, but as a community, may the Chicago, the big city of Chicago, see the little city of Chicago. It goes by the name of New Community. May they catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God here on earth. All glory, all honor, and all praise to you and you alone. Father, be magnified by our lives this week. Let the light and the life of Jesus shine through. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great week, you guys. See you back here next week.